Welcome, Marcus, here to our third episode of GBS Leaders Podcast. Um, Marta, um, I have some quick fire questions for you for the next 20, 25 minutes. Um, and I'm going to go straight into them. Um, first of all, do you want to kick off with a quick intro about yourself and the role oh, you Sure. Play? So, so Rakesh, thank you. Thank you for having me today. Um, so, so I lead uh, what we call the European Business Support Center out of Warsaw, Poland, um, that supports, supports Marsh. Um, Marsh and uh, we do insurance operations so it's very core to to the business that we do um, our um, the legal the legal entity um, where I'm also a board member of is called MMC which stands for Marsh McLennan companies group services um, and here we not only have EBSC as I mentioned prior that I that I manage directly um, but also we have HR services and accounting operations um, and it's close to now 800 people uh, at the moment. Um, the insurance side of things is around 450 colleagues. Um, and we do things, some of our biggest areas of the business that we support are things like policy servicing, claims, fiduciary. So it's really supporting the whole life cycle of the, of the insurance brokerage business. Fantastic. Wow. So that's quite some scale. Um, supporting that life cycle of the insurance brokerage business um when you're supporting those people and those 800 odd people that you mentioned there's a lot of debate over hybrid working working from the office or working from Mm -hmm. home where where do you stand on that what's your what's your Mm -hmm. viewpoint of what have you established at marsh that you think works best so what's interesting is that we we scaled quite a bit, especially in the EBSC side during COVID. So when I first um, stepped into this role about three and a half years ago, um, right at the beginning of COVID, um, the center was only 90 people. Um, and we were right now the largest operations and technology location in Europe. Um, so we scaled really fast in a time where we were fully remote, 100% remote during those times seems a long time ago now, but uh, we we trained, we hired, we upskilled, um, we did everything 100% remotely. That did change, you know, once the, once the rules um, changed and we were able to get back people into the office with the social distancing at that particular time and the limitations, um, we did. Um, and once, you know, once the, the pandemic was officially over, we came back into a hybrid mode of two days, two days a week in the office um, and three days from home as a minimum. Now, as of actually September 18th, we announced uh, internally globally that we're looking to go into a model where it's three days a week in the office uh, and uh, two weeks. So still what we find now, the challenge is, is that a lot of a lot of those that we hired during during the pandemic are people who are fully on a remote working contract who live outside of the city, who are no very good workers that we enjoy as part of our team. Um, so those are kind of the exceptions. But I see us moving towards more of a model where the focus will be to hire more people locally that will be able to to come to the office, you know, in that flexible hybrid model. Yeah, interesting. So you almost have two models where one, you've got, you know, fully hybrid for everyone, Warsaw based or close to Warsaw. And another model because you hired a lot of people during COVID um, that are outside of the city altogether. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, mm. there's definitely, you know, 
a lot of advantages for for some of the you know fully remote and being being you know I we do see that individual performance um, is actually higher when people are working from home. Um, you know the terms of work life balance and the flexibility. There's a lot of positive things, but we've also observed some of the the challenges that come along with that. Um, and some of those, you know, I I do observe that team effectiveness is not as high. Um, it is more difficult um, when you don't get that time together. Um, I think the learning curve is also a bit higher. I think if you're mm. if you're a young individual starting off your career, um, going to the office and sitting, being able to ask questions and hear things, I think the amount that you learn um, is, is typically faster and greater than than if you're than if you're on your own. Um, and I think isolation. I think now we're starting to see that you know. Mm. There are effects. I mean, I see it even even through my daughter, who you know wasn't going to school for a very long period of time. You see that there's signs of you know isolation, and you know that social interaction is still quite important. But finding the right balance and convincing people that there's value in seeing each other isn't easy, right? I don't want to be commuting to the office as well every single day. It's it's hard. Uh, so it's um it's making sure you know that we have the right policies in place that we truly believe in but that we're making that time when people are in the office valuable right that they're not just sitting at their desk on their yeah. zoom calls all day long um, otherwise they're not going to get the benefit of being there yeah f fully agree and i myself have to say that there's nothing more motivating i think for a lot of people than going out and meeting physically uh, as opposed to be sitting in a room um, looking at those four walls all day, or some people um, that have big families and small uh, accommodation, um, I think that's a big challenge as well. So it feels like hybrid is where you've landed um, with some pros and cons. So that's interesting. I'm going to move tact a little bit because, Martha, when I, when I think of you, I think of a disruptor um, in terms of what you're trying to achieve and what you're doing um, in the marsh landscape. Uh, what, what's the most disruptive thing that you're you've achieved at Marsh? So, I think just you know when I, as I mentioned before, we had this high growth period, and before I joined, uh, I think there was a period of a couple years where the center really was not growing. Um, really? So, I think the fact that we are where we are today is a is a massive change um, for Europe um, that we've been able to centralize um centralize these services but i remember in the first six months you know we were we were making plans how to set ourselves up for this growth and right. we actually had teams that were not process-based they were organized by country because we just simply didn't have the scale and the languages um, were required all the documents that we process whether insurance claims or policies they're in local language so we would have a team supporting germany a team supporting france um, and we actually had to reach so during during COVID, we reshuffled everyone. Almost every single person had a different person that they reported to in a different structure. They had mm -hmm. to pick an area where they wanted to. So I think looking back, the fact that we actually made that really, really huge change um, being virtual during the pandemic and, you know, the job satisfaction was still high. We didn't see people um, leaving or the attrition rising. So I see that as a, it was, it was quite, I, I can imagine, it was just disruptive for absolutely every single person that was part of that process. But it was definitely the right thing to do that enabled that growth. And I still think if we wouldn't have done that, it would have been very hard 
to grow it and, and become what we are today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's a really interesting because the scale I think is, um, is difficult in itself during, during COVID, but I think I'm more impressed by that process orientation because you find a lot of GBS and shared services, they get the wage arbitrage. They've moved from expensive locations into a lower cost hub. And then you find they stop at that place where they have country-based teams. Um, so it's great that you've, you've gone that step further to really drive process centricity. And, and maybe my next question relates to this. Is that also your most satisfying moment? Or do you have another standout um, in your time, either at Marsh or before, that kind of stipulates what that most satisfying moment in your career so far has been? You know, there's nothing that really comes into my mind. I'm a I'm a person that likes to celebrate everything. I'm a big I, I like to I really I think we need to celebrate. We need to, you know, I, people laugh, but I sometimes, you know, if we have a backlog, right, that has been created um, and we, you know, we overcome that and we get back to business as usual. I think you need to celebrate that. Right. If you get an award or a recognition um industry ones we won a few over the last couple of years you know that's a time to celebrate um i think finding those little things along the way and celebrating but also not celebrating them too long um i remember my boss told me told me once said you know you can celebrate but no longer than a week then you get back and you start <laughs> thinking about the next thing you can't celebrate so i really like that i think you gotta you gotta kind of look back and you know there's there's so many there's so many things along the way that we've done you know, with the growth, we've set up great supporting functions. We have absolutely fantastic teams. One of, you know, I'm very proud. We have a very strong learning and development team, a very strong process efficiency team, um, a very strong quality assurance team. So with that scale, we've been able to really build out, build out functions that I think are really adding the value now. Um, that the conversation is not so much about, you know, the cost arbitrage, um, but we're talking about what value we're able we're able to add um, because of that scale and because of those processes and because of those standards that we're building. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Celebrate everything. And I think we're in an industry that doesn't celebrate enough. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I quite like that mantra. Um, My husband gets annoyed with me because I always want to celebrate. In Poland, you have a lot of these, like, extra holidays. He, he says birthday right. and Christmas are not enough. You have the Women's Day. You have Children's Day. You have, you know, you got to celebrate it all. Something froze. Yeah, no, um, you're back. Um, but yes, we you got to celebrate. I get that. Women's Day, Children's Day, every single opportunity. I'm sure your husband will <laughs> exactly. get used to that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then if I ask you around, you know, what you think made the difference? I think when, when we as consultants talk about transformation, we talk about people, we talk about process, we talk about technology. And the easy answer is all three. But what, what, what do you think has made the biggest difference for you in that paradigm of people, process, and technology, and why? So, so yeah, I mean, it, let's, it's the golden triangle, right? And I think you, need, you definitely need all three, yeah. um, you know, but I think it's actually in that order, as you say it. So I think, I think you need to start with the people, um, and you need to have the right people with the right skills and the right roles. Then you need to think about the processes and what are the steps and what are you trying to achieve and get that right. And I think that technology needs to come after you have those two things in place. 
So I do think all three, but in that order. Yeah. So so people first. No, that makes sense. So you would put people first, and and when you put people first, how, how do you how do you do that best? So you know, I find that a lot of GBS leaders um, would say the same thing. Yeah, but let's put people first. But how do we ensure that's not a BS statement? Um, and yeah. and you really are as a business doing people first. Um, mm -hmm. What do you do? Mm -hmm. What tips do you have? And found to be successful and maybe not so successful in that area. So I, th I think you know when it comes to when it comes to colleagues who are working directly in the operations. Um, I do think that the attitude is is the most important for me because we can we can teach teach a lot of the skills that are needed to to do the actual work. I think, you know, when I'm recruiting a more senior, a senior person or a leader to manage um, a, a value stream or to manage a function, then obviously you need to have a level of experience and skills that comes with that. Um, yeah, but I think it's important, you know, setting very clear goals um, and doing that and doing that together and then, you know, giving people the empowerment and accountability to carry out those plans. Um, as they wish, having, you know, a strong trust relationship. I think all of those things. And I think if you if you have that um, and you have the team player mentality and you're working together to solve the problems along the way, I think I think the the rest will come a lot easier. Um, and really, I've seen I've seen a lot of projects fail when you start with the technology um, where mm -hmm. there hasn't been yeah. enough thought about having the right people in the roles or having the right process already defined, the right standard. If we jump too quickly in that, I think uh, my observations are not only from, from my company, but what I see on the market and what other companies are doing, why so many of those transformations fail. Yeah. So putting technology first instead of having technology as the enabler. Um, I think is what you're saying is you need issue. it. You need it, but if you start with it, I think that's where that's where things tend to fall apart. Indeed, indeed, I'm sure a lot of ERP implementations could learn from that same advice. Um, good. So my next question is then around risk. Um, and if I asked you what keeps you awake at night from a risk perspective, what would that be? I think it's just general, like uncertainty. So I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, my work keeps me up at night. I think uh, probably my my teenage daughter keeps me up at night more than more than the work. But aside, you know, I think it's just uncertainty and being I'm I'm quite a strategic person that likes to plan for the future, likes to think what's going to happen, likes to build, you know, two, three year plans. And, you know, I sometimes have to step back and just know that, you know, things might change, you know, in a year's time, um, you know, something might come a curveball in, in all sorts of different ways um, that I think, well, you have to be flexible and you can't, you know, even though you have a plan and that's great, you have to be able to quickly adjust um, if something is thrown at you that is unexpected. And I just think we live in a world and, you know, given, given, given Marsh McLennan, um, is a risk advisor, and we do um, the global risk report every year that that is published at the World Economic Forum. I mean, there's there's some scary things on those lists of the top top ten things that that you know might happen. You know, even cybersecurity that that scares me. Mm -hmm. Right? What can happen with data? Not even for the company, but as an individual. So I think uh, it, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that might or might not happen in the world that could affect us personally and professionally. But and nothing, you gotta plan. Yeah. nothing that keeps you awake at night too much. 
Not, not too much. I, I get I get my I get my beauty sleep, so it's okay. <laughs> I find ways to disconnect so that I can get a good night's sleep. So I think that's very important. And and what do you think others worry about that maybe they shouldn't? So you know, there's think, a lot of noise mm -hmm. around certain topics, yeah, you know, that we come across, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. so um, I, I think, think some, yeah, I think job security. Right. You always hear, right. you know, a little bit about that, especially with AI, with, you know, new technology coming in, you know, what's going to happen to my job. I really think that's something no one should worry about. I think that as long as you're flexible, you're willing to reskill, you're alert, you have a mindset where you want to learn and you're curious. Um, I'd always say, you know, if you can find a way to automate your own job, then you'll probably be the first one to get promoted. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really something that perhaps, you know, some some people may think about, but I don't think that that need they they necessarily need to from that aspects. Um, I also think that perhaps leaders of GBS in Poland or in other countries also sometimes are too focused on the cost reduction. Mm -hmm. And I know that's part of the model. And we said cost arbitrage is usually one of the first things we start off with. But, you know, we got to focus on how we're going to be adding value. Um, and how yeah. we can be a real center of excellence, not just an operations center. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the costs are always going to be important. But if we're solely focused on that, I think um, I think that's not the right the right focus area or the right thing to be worried about. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And what about kind of other aspects around, you know, political environment, climate change? Does that impact your strategy around um, GBS at all? So I think I th obviously for for you know business planning and the resilience, we we do we do a lot of those kind of plans to make sure that any kind of business business disruption um, will have will have plans to to secure um, our operations for our clients and our colleagues in other countries. Um, I you know. There are a lot of things. I, I think that you should really focus on the things that you have control over. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you just need to educate yourself and be aware of what are the potential risks around you. Um, and you, there's just so many things that we just do not have full control over. Um, so trying, trying, trying our best not to worry about those um, and try to just be in the mindset of, you know, if you know, something happens, you know, we're very resilient people, right? If you if you think mm -hmm. about COVID, if you think about the the war in the Ukraine, those were really shocking, shocking moments um, for all of us and periods of time. But, you know, people get together there and they're extremely resilient by, by nature. Um, so it's actually quite fascinating to watch and see. And I'm a strong believer, strong believer that we can we can get through anything together. Fantastic. Excellent. What a great way to close. We can get through everything, <laughs> anything together. Yes. Um, Marta, thank you very much. Those were our quick fire questions that we had in mind for today. We've kept it within our 20 minute timetable. So thank you very much for sharing today. Um, and um, thanks everyone for, for so listening. Are you sleeping at night, Rakesh, or no? I'm, I'm not what sleeping as much as I what should. Is keeping up, what is keeping up you at night? Because you sent me an email at 2 a.m. yesterday, so I'm assuming something's keeping you up. My, my three children are keeping me awake. Oh, okay. My, my five-year-old, my two-and-a-half-year-old, and one-and-a-half-year-old coming okay. onto my bed and jumping on me is what's keeping me up every okay. uh, uh, every night. And then I wake up and I think, isn't it now a great time to 
drop an email to Marta in advance of yeah. our podcast. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> well, yes, I hope you have a better night. Is definitely tonight. one of my priorities for, for 2024. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you me. very much. Lovely speaking to you, Marta. Take care. We'll speak again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.